Well, good morning, Elevation Church. How are y'all today? Yeah? I want to say thank you to those of you that are here this morning because I know the temptation that you fought this morning on a cold, crisp, like first weekend of fall to just pull the blankets back up, bury your head in the pillows, and slap the alarm clock till it quit. Right? Raise your hand. I know some of y'all already saw some head shaking, right? Hey, your pastor felt the same way, okay? It's okay to feel that way on a Sunday morning. The beauty is, like me, y'all got up, came to church. And you didn't come to church like the building. You came to church to be the church because this building is Studio B. It's a, it's a community theater where they put on plays and performances. It's, it's not the church. It's the building. You're the church. I'm the church. We are God's church. And so I'm just glad that you guys decided this morning that you were going to make being the church a bigger priority than sleeping in as attractive as an option as that might have been. As Jim said, we're continuing in a series that we started uh, several weeks ago now. This is week four of a series called PG, Parental Guidance. And this series was laid on my heart because I am the dad of three little girls. And being a parent, I have discovered and we have discussed over the last several weeks is perhaps the most difficult, <laughs> the most challenging, but I think the most rewarding role that a person can play in this life. It is like the ultimate job. The rewards are way up here, but the challenges are too. And as a parent, I know that many, many times, and look, my kids are young. My oldest one's just 10 years old. But many, many times in that last decade of raising children, I have found myself in need of some parental guidance. I've needed somebody to go to, to turn to, to ask some parenting questions, to figure out these parenting scenarios that we find ourselves in raising kids. I, I needed some answers. I needed some help. I needed some guidance. And what I found is our culture is full of information about parenting. We've talked about this for the last few weeks. There are doctors like PhDs and, and MDs and I don't know, whatever the D is when they're a psychologist or a philosopher or whatever, and they've all got their own ideas about how we should raise children, what we should do with these, these little humans that show up at our house and want like stuff and need leadership. And, 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 and parents, we, we don't know where to turn, and so we turn to these, these people from our culture. But there's another group of people that don't have talk show hosts. They're not, you know, famous. And I mean, there's, there's this resource out there that gets very little attention in our media. It's little known in our culture, little discussed anyway. And that is the Bible. And we discovered that God is the ultimate parent because God is really, he's everybody's parent. God is the one who created us designed us with a purpose, with specific intent, planted us at a certain time in history, in a certain place, with a purpose for us to live out. He is our heavenly father, as we have discovered. And as our heavenly parent, God is perfect. We know that people are not, the Bible tells us, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is perfect. God is the only one that's perfect. He's the ultimate parent, and he's the perfect parent that makes his parenting uh, role model perfection. And if I'm going to seek guidance in my parenting from any source, because I know I'm fallible and I'm going to mess it up no matter what anyway, I might as well go seek the perfect source rather than some fallen, failed source, because I'm going to mess up whatever comes anyway. So the best I can get is where I want to go. So we turn to, or I turn to the Bible, and I wanted to help you guys understand, I want to help all of us 
myself included, be better parents so that we can, A, fulfill the role that God has for us as parents. I think it's one of the, again, the coolest, most rewarding, most challenging jobs a person can have. But also, we did this series because I want all of our children to grow up and to be the people that God has created them to be and fulfill the purpose that he has for them. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk today, that, you know, three weeks ago when we started out, we, we really opened up the Bible and, and really did the groundwork to discover that God is our heavenly parent. Then we followed that up the, the next week, talking about God's priorities for the family. We found that God is a God of order. He has an order for the family, and it's God comes first, then the marital relationship, if you're married, comes second, and then your children. you got to take care of the marriage before you take care of the kids. you got to keep the, God's priorities in order. And then last week we talked about the discipline dilemma. All of that stuff is very important. Those are critical factors. Today I want to talk about how it all comes together and we really uh, find ourselves in what is the ultimate task in the job of parenting, and that is preparing or prepping. Now, if you're like me and you like to watch the Discovery Channel, I know there's some nerds in the house. I am a Discovery Channel, like, I love, that's, for me, TV starts at channel 120. I've got Fios, Discovery is 120, and it ends at 132, which is Animal Planet, and occasionally I'll find myself on 164, which is like the Cooking Channel or Food Network or one of those, but I live in like the 7 or 8 or 12 or whatever it is, channels of Discovery, right? Discovery, military, military history, Discovery this, Discovery that. There's like, and on one of those channels, pretty much every day, at least once or twice, there's some show right now about the end of the world and about preparing and, and there's, you know, it's doomsday preppers and it's this and that. And there's all this stuff about prepping for the end of the world. I'm not talking about that kind of prepping when I talk about prepping our kids. When I talk about prepping and parenting, that's not it. We're going to talk about that as the church because there's some people who think that the Mayans had it all figured out with a calendar they made up like hundreds or thousands or something of years ago and, and the world's all going to end on 12-21-2012. Anybody heard that? Yes? Yay, all right. We're going to talk about that like in a month. Right now, today, we're going to talk about prepping from the perspective of parenting. And I'm talking about preparing our kids. Preparing our kids for what? I'm glad you asked me that question. Preparing our kids for being the people that God has called them to be, designed them to be, for fulfilling the purpose that he has planted in their hearts. By the way, parents, it is our role, it is part of our job description to do this. We cannot leave that to God alone to lead them. He has given us children, put them under our care as part of our purpose. We have to help them discover their purpose and live it out. So that is what we're going to talk about today, uh, uh, the 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 prepping of our children, the preparation of our children to live life on their own and to be everything that God has called them and designed them to be. And when I thought about all of the verses in Scripture that apply to preparing, there was one that stood out above the rest. And some of you know every week I'll have paper clips all throughout my Bible. We're flipping pages and we're going to this book and that book, New Testament, Old Testament. We're doing all of these different verses. Today we're going to camp on one verse of Scripture. It is the quintessential prepping passage, Proverbs 22, 6. Up on the slide, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Proverbs 22, 6. If you don't have your Bible with you, just check out the slide up here. And I put up several different translations of this verse because some of us are familiar with this verse. You've heard it whether you've been in church or not. You've heard it at some time in somewhere in some way. And, and I want to talk about, I want to look at these these 
different translations, and then we're going to break this verse down, and we're going to really discover what the writer of Proverbs is talking about in this verse. This verse says, NIV, start your children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not depart from it. Start your children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not depart from it. ESV, the last one down there, we can read all of them, but we're, I'm going to camp on those two. That English Standard tra- uh, Version, the, the train up a, a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Different ways of saying it, doesn't matter what translation you read, the, the intent, the end message of this is the same. Parents, it is incumbent upon us to train up our children in the way that they should go. That is a job description for parenting. It's also a job description for grandparenting, as Jim said a minute ago, for being the cool aunt and uncle. It's a job description for teachers, for anybody who has influence over children. This is a part of what we do. So if you're a coach, a teacher, a a, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, a single parent, a married parent, an adoptive parent, a a, a godparent, a step-parent, you get the picture, it applies. So let's find out what this critical piece of parenting really means. I want to go through this verse. I'm going to talk about some key words and phrases in this passage of Scripture, really kind of get underneath them and explore them and really discover what it is that God's telling us we need to do in this role of parenting, in this role of prepping within the context of parenting. The first thing I want to investigate is the word train. If you look at the ESV, it says train up. So NIV was start, then direct, then give. The word train to me was a word that I could wrap my mind around a little bit better than some of those other words. Like I get start up, but, but, and, and I understand direct and give, but train. I've been trained in my life in a lot of different aspects and areas. And if any of you have ever been in the military or if you've played sports, You've trained. If you've lifted weights, if you run road races, if you do any of these things, you've trained. I I could wrap my mind around the word train. And when I looked at this word train and discovered, uh, and I don't do this a lot, but I kind of like sometimes to do a little word study. And I'll go back to the original languages of the Bible. And and I looked up this word train in Hebrew. It's a really cool word. It's the word hanak. Hanak. It's a verb. We can probably figure out that's a verb. Train means do something. It's not like whoop, whoop, choo-choo train. It's a it's we gotta train, we gotta do something. This verb, hanak, literally translates to dedicate and to prepare, prepare. To dedicate and to prepare. To dedicate is to set aside, to kind of elevate something, to make it very important. It's a priority. And to prepare. So this is a priority for parents to prepare to train their children. This is a word that is used elsewhere in the Bible to talk about training a soldier or training an athlete for a race. This word, hanak, train, it's work. And it's a very important work that parents must do. We have to dedicate ourselves to this work. We have to be uh, willing to dedicate our children to this training. Because if any of you have ever done any kind of training, weight training, running training, training for uh, something academic, it doesn't matter. It's difficult to train. Training takes discipline, something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Discipline is a challenge. It's something you've got to set your heart and your mind to. You've got to stay with it even when the challenges come. You've got to stay with it even when it feels like you've done it a thousand times, a million times. You stay with it. Training is a challenge. If you've been trained in the military, they get you in that boot camp, depending on what branch you're in. It's like six or eight weeks or 12 weeks or something. I, don't, I never went. 
I tried. They didn't like me. They kicked me out before I ever got anywhere. Tanner, how long was boot camp? Six weeks. You were in the Air Force, right? Air Force is six weeks. Uh, we had a Marine in the church. Uh, they, they moved recently, but we had a Marine. I think theirs was 12 weeks. Is that, am I right? on? I think it's, it's either 10 or 12 weeks. They train a little longer. I don't know why, because they're Marines and they think they're cool and stuff. I don't know. We have some other guys here that were in the Army. They, I mean, they go to boot camp and they train. And when you're training, Tanner, they march every day, right? They make you march. This is true. Y'all probably figured out how to march on like day one or two, right? You thought you did. But you kept on marching because your trainer, your drill instructor kept making you march, right? So they started you on day one. Were you still marching at the end of boot camp? Yes. So, did you ever march like where you thought, this is, I mean, I can't march anymore. You got to the limits of your ability, right? And you were still being trained. They trained you right through the thresholds. As we train our children, that's the kind of discipline we have to have we got to stick with it even when we think we're done, even when they think they're done. We've got to do the things we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, right? We've got to lead our children. That was week one. We talked about leading our children to love the Lord, God's priorities, right? The great commission, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, and then go share the gospel with others. We've got to train our children. And how do we train our children? By showing them, by doing it with them, by setting the example, letting them see it in us, not just telling them. Did your drill instructor just tell you how to march? Did he march alongside you? He marched along. He gave you a cadence to march to, didn't he? So he set for you an example. He watched you. When somebody got out of sync, out of, out of the, did he correct them? Discipline, corrective action, Right? So he set the example, he taught it, he modeled it, he gave them a, a cadence to march to, something to help them along the way. If they got out of sync, out of order, he put them back in, and he did this over and over and over, time and time again. Parenting is like that. That's what it means to train up a child. You got to do the hard disciplinary stuff. You got to do the loving stuff. You've got to set the example of what it looks like and what it means to love God, to teach our children these priorities. we got to set our family in the proper priority order, aligning it with God's priorities of loving God first, then the, uh, the marriage relationship between mom and dad, and then the children are the next priority. You can't have a kid-centric household and honor God and really be training them up in the way they should go. You're preparing them for failure later. Just got to do the things we've been talking about doing to train up a child. That's the next word I want to talk about, the word child. You may be thinking, why do we really need to explore the word child? Isn't that kind of self-explanatory, Pastor Todd? Maybe. I don't know. What's your perception of a child? When does childhood end? Are children only children until they like reach elementary school, junior high, high school, is it the age of 13, which was um, in the Jewish tradition, the age where they reach you know, adulthood or maturity? It's the age of accountability. Um, is it 18? That's our Western culture, right? Unless you want to drink, and then you've got to be 21. I mean, what is the standard? What, when, does, when does childhood end? If I'm a parent, and I am, and I want to train up my child in the way she should go since I have three daughters, I need to know when to begin and when to end this training. And we talked already about in discipline that it's got to begin in the very be I mean, from the beginning. When they hit the ground, start training. Start training your child from day one. Just like Tanner was trained from day one. He got off the bus, they mowed off his hair, 
and they started to dress him in their clothes, and they made him march. And I bet it was funny to watch you march the first day. But they made him do it on the first day, even though he didn't know how. Parents, we got to train our children from day one. It's easy to know that they're a child when they're babies and infants and even toddlers and preschoolers. We probably still think of them as children in elementary school. But as I've done student ministry over the years, I've watched parents make a big mistake somewhere around the junior high, high school years. Now, understand, it's good to start giving your children more and more freedom as they earn it as they show you they can handle it. Keywords. As they show you they can handle it. Give them more and more freedom as they get older and prove and show they can handle this. But I see parents, as their children get older, start to just release the reins. Do you want to go with this kind of a, a, a example of a horse, right? If, they're like tra- if training a child is like training, let's say, a horse, we're going to shift examples. We're going to get off of the, the military. Let's go to a horse. It's like, okay, when they're babies, we keep them in the horse stall, right? A baby little colt stays in the barn, right? Stays in the barn because out in the, the field in the corral with the other horses, there's, there's things that could get them. And, and so we keep them in the corral. And then as they get a little older, a little more stable, they can have a little more room to roam in the barn. Then we let them out into the corral as they show that they can handle it. And as they show that they can handle being in the corral, then they get to go out into the pasture. And as, as parents, we, we kind of move our children through steps like that. We keep them very close and protected in the beginning, and then we give them a little bit more freedom, and maybe they bite our hand, you know, when we try to feed them or something, you know, and so we have to bring them back into a little tighter reins, a little tighter control. But I see parents in that junior high, high school age kind of let them go from the corral out to the pasture, and then they just kind of ignore what they're doing in the pasture. They don't see that they're jumping fences, that they're um, um, following the wrong horses, they've joined up with the wrong herd, right? They don't notice that they're eating the wrong grass. You can use your own analogy there, right? Uh, you know, I've watched parents do this, and I've actually talked to parents about it, and they're like, oh, she's 14, she can make her own decisions. And what I think when I hear that, and I have never said this to the parents, and so if you're one of those parents, I'm saying it to you now. You don't remember being 14, do you? I remember being 14. Yes, I was capable of making my own decisions. A very large percentage of them were bad decisions. I could make them just fine. I was really good at making bad decisions at 14. And so are your children because they are still children. And I believe that children remain children for as long as you have influence over them. For as long as they live under your roof, for sure. And the longer they stay at home, <laughs> the longer you're their, par- they're your, you're their parent and they are your child, right? But hey, I'm 39 years old and I've shared over the last few weeks, I still call on my dad who just turned 69 all the time. See, my dad still has influence in my life. He's still a parent, and to him, I'm still a child. So I don't know when the, when the time or the date for children ends. I think in a very real way, my dad is still training up his child, Todd, in the way that Todd should go. Even though Todd thinks he has a pretty good grasp and a pretty good idea on things, he still has influence. Here's the trick. Here's the, the catch to this. Nobody knows how long they're going to have influence over their children. You don't know. We know from all kinds of science and research and social studies and all this stuff that 
the formative years, so to speak, are like from birth to about 12. We can have the greatest impact in those years. And after you know, 12, 13, for some it may come a little earlier, some a little later, somewhere around that puberty time, the, the impact that we have can begin to diminish as they begin to look more to culture, more to their friends, even teachers or coaches, as influencers and impactors in their lives. They start to realize that mom and dad don't know everything in spite of our best attempts to convince them otherwise, and that we're not the coolest kids on the block in spite of our own beliefs that we might be, and they start looking at other sources that influence them and, and, and that begins to swing away from mom and dad and towards these other influencing factors. So those formative years, they're like the sweet spot. I'm full of analogies today. They're like the sweet, if you play golf, you know what the sweet, or baseball or a lot of other things, the sweet spot on a golf club, that's why you keep seeing these bigger and bigger and bigger drivers, right? If you guys like to swing a golf club, I've got a driver now that's like a, the size of my Bible. It's like swinging a basketball on the end of a, of a broomstick. It's ginormous. But the thing about it is the sweet spot is really big. And that sweet spot is the place on the club that when it makes contact with the ball, it flexes back and then launches that ball out. And it gives it the farthest launch at the best trajectory when you hit the ball flush on that sweet spot. When I think about my parenting, I want to launch my children far and at the best trajectory for their lives. So I want to impact them in that sweet spot, those first 12 years. I want to be like right in there, in their lives, impacting them, modeling for them, teaching them, showing them, having conversations with them, observing them. I want to be all in there so that I can, I can influence that child. And then through the teenage years, I don't want to release them and not check in. I think Ronald Reagan said it best. He said, you got to trust but verify. You trust but verify. So as our children earn that trust, as they earn the ability to go back out into the pasture or whatever, that's cool. Give them the freedom. Check on them. Did you know, I think I shared this last week, if your teenagers have a phone and you pay the bills and you bought the phone, guess who owns the phone? You own the phone. Guess what? You have the right to go through the phone. You can look in the phone. You can check the text messages. You can check the browsing history. You own the computer. You own the internet service. You own the home. You own the car. You probably own everything your children have access to. And guess what? Even if your kid is an overachiever, went out, got a job, saved their money, and bought their own stuff, you're still their parent, and they're still your child, and you still get to go through their stuff. Isn't that great? Why don't you? If you're not, why not? It's your stuff. It's your child. Trust them, but verify. And as you verify that the trust is well-placed, you can trust them even more. You can check less often. You can be a little less invasive. You can give them more freedom to go farther. But when you trust and you verify that they're not ready for the trust that you've given them, you need to pull them back in so you can train them up some more. Train them up while you can have the very best impact. Spend time in those first 10, 12 years. Don't check out in years 13 to 18 or 18 to 25. Understand that your influence diminishes during that time, but because of that, your, um, your relationship should increase. 
your effort might need to be ramped up during those years so that you can continue to train them up in the way that they should go. So when is a child a child? For as long as you have impact and influence. How long is that going to be? Who knows? Friend of mine, two boys, I've talked about him before, out of the blue, nobody saw it coming, passed away, 33 years old, had a child a year, not even a year old yet, and one that was like three. Who knew that his influence was going to end when it did? Thank God that he poured into those boys, even at that age. Seriously, heavy time, a lot of love, a lot of impact, set an example, left a legacy that they can follow his fatherhood even though he's not here anymore physically with them. Some parents aren't going to die at 33 years old. Thank God for that. I'm 39. I'm glad it wasn't me. Wished it wouldn't have been him either, but I'm glad it wasn't me. I can influence my children, but at some point they're going to check out on dad and they're going to check in on others. They're going to check out on mom and they're going to check in on others. I need to influence them while I can. At some point, they're going to move out. They're going to get married. They're going to move on. As they do that, the Bible says they should leave their father and their mother and be united with their spouse and be one flesh with them. Your influence diminishes. Influence them as heavily as you can, as much as you can, as often as you can, the best that you can from the beginning. Invest in that sweet spot. Never check out. Never take your hands off. Never give up on your impact or your influence in their lives. But it's got to start early and it's got to stay consistent. The way he should go, the next phrase I want to spend some time on, raise up a child in the way he should go. In fact, I'm going to spend more time on this than we've spent on pretty much anything else because there's a lot to cover here. In the way he should go. Did you notice it didn't say in the way he would go or she would go? Raise up a child in the way that he would go or she would go. In other words, let's figure out what my kid wants to do, or worse yet, let's figure out what I want for my child, and I can live vicariously through them. I won't even talk to you guys about that today because I know none of you are ever guilty of doing that. You wouldn't force your children to play the sport, um, drive the car, date the guy, the girl, wear the clothes, do the thing that you thought you wanted to do, didn't get to do, didn't succeed at, and you're now going to have a second opportunity to live your childhood through your child. None of you would do that, so we're not going to talk about that today, okay? What we're going to talk about today is raise up a child in the way he should go, not would go, because they can choose their own way, but that way probably, not definitely, but probably for most of us won't align with God's purpose for our lives. Why? I said it earlier. Because we're sinful. We're born sinners, natural born. If you don't believe me, check out your kids. Did you train them to do the things that they do, to sin the way they sin? They were pretty good at it before you ever had... Look, we would have been great teachers if they would have let us, right? But most of them were sinning at a higher level than we could understand before we had a grasp on it, okay? Kids are natural born sinners. We're all born into sin. It's part of the curse that came with Adam and Eve when they committed the original sin. So if our kids are natural-born sinners, then the way they would go probably won't align with the way that God wants them to go, what he designed them for. They need to be trained in that direction. So we need to discern and decide what is the way our children should go. Well, I think it, if you start looking at God's priorities and God's commands and what he says is important in our lives, it, some of the stuff lays out pretty easy. The overarching things that we talked about a few moments ago. Great commandment, love God, love others. Big priority. 
Got to raise them to love God, to love others, share the gospel, make disciples. Great commission, great commandment, big stuff. Those are overarching big picture themes that are true for all of us. But God gives each and every one of us an individual, customized, personalized purpose, a plan. And he equips us according to the plan that he has for us. Have you ever noticed that some people are really good at English and social studies and other people are really good at math? And most of the math geniuses, they're okay maybe at the, the other stuff. And most of the like guys that write and do all that stuff or girls that are great in that area, maybe not the mathematicians. I'm one of those, I like English and writing and stuff, and I was pretty horrible at the math. People are getting up and leaving. I'm getting in their business about their math abilities. It's amazing. I'm joking. Um, I hope, I hope they're not going to the bathroom and I just made them feel self-conscious about it. Um, I'm bad, terrible. So the deal is we're all wired differently. Some of us have red hair. Some of us are losing our hair. Some of us have, you know, long feet. Some of us have short feet. Some of us are really, really smart. And some of us are really, really pretty. I'm not sure which one I am. I'm just saying some of that stuff's true. So we're wired differently. We're made differently to accomplish different plans and purposes that God has for each and every one of us. We're all made in God's image and likeness. We're all beautiful in His eyes. We're all uh, um, very, uh, very much loved by God, but He equips us to do a job, to fulfill a purpose. As parents, we need to help our children discover that purpose. The thing is, we've got to discover it first because they didn't come with a printed sheet of instructions. God did not tattoo on their rear ends this is going to be a plumber. This one's going to be a football player. This one's going to be a pastor, a teacher, a coach. It wasn't there. I checked on my kids. Didn't come with the instructions. So we've got to train them in the way that they should go. As we train them in the way they should go, when we think about God's overarching priorities, loving God, loving others, sharing the gospel, the thing that parents we need to defend against is the temptation to do these things out of religion to do them religiously. It's the right thing to do to go to church, so our family's going to go to church. We're going to worship God for an hour a week, and then we're going to do our family thing for the other six days and 23 hours. But because you're supposed to go to church, we're going to go to church, and because you're supposed to sing at church, we're going to sing, and pray at church, we're going to pray, but we're going to do our own thing at the rest, you know, during the rest of the week. That's religion. You're teaching your child religion. Religion never saved anybody. It's not God's purpose or God's plan. It's actually an instrument of our enemy, the devil, but a lot of families fall into that trap. And it starts with the discipline that mom and dad have with themselves. We've got to be disciplined to do the things that we're trying to train our children to do. We've got to be disciplined to be the people that we're trying to train our children to be. If we're supposed to love God and love others as a big priority, that should be a major thing in your family's life. It should be part of the family's organization. It should be like assumed as a child comes up in your family that that's just the way that it is because mom and dad set that example just like Tanner's drill instructor set the example on how they should march. They show it, they say it, they do it, they give correction. Parents, that's what it looks like when we're training them in the way they should go. Not doing it because it's the right thing or the religious thing. Doing it out of love for God and love for our children and even really love for ourselves. How we discover their individual design, I said a few moments ago in the process of, of training the child in the way they should go. I talked in, in a moment ago about 
being in conversation with them, observing them, talking to them, asking them tons of questions. Our kids, our two oldest are at a point right now, nine and 10 years old, where we can really get into their hearts and their heads. We've been observing them for years. We know kind of where some of their gifts lie physically and mentally. We know who's got a little bit sharper um, uh, mental faculties, higher IQ, who's the better athlete. Uh, we we kind of see some of the things about how God's wired them. We can do that observationally by putting them in, in lot, exposing them to a lot of, of, of activities and things in life and letting them experience those and just seeing how they interact with people, how they interact at church and school and sports and all the stuff. We watch, we listen to what they say, the feedback they give. I like this, I don't like that, I'm good at this, I stink at that. Those are indicators of how God has wired them. We interact with our kids, we pray with them. We have done the drill, drill instructor thing where we have prayed with our children. We've shown them how to pray. We've prayed over them, out loud for them. We've taught them to pray. We've then let them pray. We listen to them pray. We pray with them. We listen to what they pray. You learn a lot about your kid if you just listen to how they pray. You learn a ton about your children just hearing how they pray. So anyway, these are some of the things that you can do to start to discern what God's design is for your child. We discern our children's design by knowing our children. We know our children by doing life with our children, really being involved with them. We do it by praying, by listening to what the Lord tells us. If God has entrusted you with these kids to be their, their parent, to prepare them, don't you think he would entrust to you, if you will ask him, some guidance some, some insight into how he's wired them and what his purpose for them is. Of course he will. A lot of us never seek him. We never ask him. It's not about religion. Excuse me. It's not about um, just letting our kids discover their own way. It's not about just letting them figure it out uh, uh, through all these experiences. It's about us doing life with them. It's about us loving them. It's about us investing in their life, in their interests, in the things that, that they enjoy and are good at or maybe not so good at, we can discern from that and then we can pray. We can trust that God is going to give us some insight and direction into how he's designed our kids and what he wants for them and what he wants from them. We discern these things so that we can train our children in the way they should go. So again, the overarching things, that are, those are easy to assume. We know we need to train our children to love God, to have a relationship with him through Jesus, his son, so they can be filled with God the Holy Spirit, they have salvation, they have great life in this life and eternity. We, we know those things. We discern God's individual design for them so that we can train them in those ways. So if I know, for instance, that one of my children is really, really good in a certain area, it's something they love and they desire to do it, if I see compassion and a love for animals and, and they're kind of good at math and science, I might be able to discern that maybe a veterinarian or some kind of a doctor or something like that might be something they would want to be. I have a, a girl who loves music. I'll tell you, she's not that great at it yet. We haven't done a lot of training there, to be honest, because Trina and I aren't musical. But she loves music, and she loves the Lord, and she loves to lead others. She has leadership as a gift. We could see her maybe, you know, leading worship. Maybe not as a vocation. Maybe as just a, a way to worship God, a way to serve his church to be um, the best that she can be, the best person God designed her to be. So she can leave on that trajectory and go towards that. Trina and I need to invest in developing in her 
that skill, that gift, that talent, that ability, that love. Parents, that is how we discern and how we train a child in the way that they should go. Did you grow up in a house like I did where mom and dad taught you, you can do anything you want to do, you can be anything you want to be? I think that's one of the worst lies that we can tell our kids. I think it's told in all the best intention, wrapped in all of the love that a parent has. I don't think parents ever do it to deceive or to hurt their kids. But I wanted to be a football player so bad. And I believed in my heart if I worked out enough, ate right, lifted enough weights, practiced hard, studied the game. But you know what? I'm 5'11". I'm not fast. I was strong, but I put on so much muscle at too early of a time in my life that I broke my body down. I was never intended to be a football player. Now, I could make my own decisions. That's the way that Todd would go, not the way that Todd should go. And my mom and dad told me that, and they told me in all love that I could be anything I wanted to be. What I've discovered as an adult is that you can't be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. I mean, you can at least try. But that doesn't necessarily align with how God's wired you and who he has designed you, planned you, called you, and equipped you to be. So you can pursue your own ends sinfully, or you can pursue God's ends lovingly, worshipfully. Parents, it's our job to help our children discover that earlier, sooner than later, to make the most of it and to not end up on some convoluted trail or track or to stub their toe or fall down really hard in pursuit of something they were never designed to do or be. So we've got to discern what God has uh, uh, wired our children to be so that we can train them. We do that because we love our kids. We do it because we love God. Because we understand what he says in Isaiah 55, that his ways are higher than our ways. God's plans are better than our plans. I can have plans for my kids. My kids can have plans for their own life. Those could be good plans. God's plan is great at another level, a level we can't understand. God's plan is perfect. And we can miss God's perfect plan in pursuit of our good or our great. Our children can miss being everything God desires them to be and designed them to be because we set them off to be what they want to be or we want them to be because we fail to prepare them properly for the plan and the purpose that God has for each and every one of them. The phrase, he will not depart. I've heard this taught that if you raise your child in the church, if you raise your child and teach them about God, about Jesus, about salvation, that no matter what temptation they come up against, they'll never leave God's side. And I don't believe for a second that that is what this verse really means. I believe that it means if we prepare them properly, no matter what diversionary tactic, no matter what side road or, or um, sinful trail might pop up, they're at least equipped to stay the course that God has for them. 
And the only reason I don't believe that this verse really truly means that is because I've seen so much evidence to the contrary. And I think you have too. It's one of those verses that's easy to assume the meaning, but maybe miss it. You know, he will not depart from it. Surely that means he will, he will never, ever stray. He'll never go away from God. He'll never uh, uh, try to, you know, he'll never try drinking alcohol. She'll never have sex outside of wedlock. They'll never stop going to church. They'll always honor their father and their mother. They'll, man, that's not life. We're sinners, selfish, in pursuit of our own stuff. We're going to fail. Temptation's going to come. The enemy is after everyone. Sometimes we're going to fall. Some people are going to fall far. I've told you before some of my, my own failures and fallings. I've told you some of my past and the darkness I've been through. Guess what? I still fall. I still fail. So do you. It's not that we won't do those things. It's not that we won't be ever uh, bad people or make bad decisions. We'll never sin. It's simply that we will have the equipment that we need, the truth that is required to deal with those scenarios and those situations as we walk through this life if we're properly prepared. Train your children so they will be properly prepared when those scenarios hit. Finally, last point. I've heard a pastor teach this before, and I wanna, uh, I'm going I'm to steal his stuff. I'm going to share something with you that, that I think is really, really brilliant. This pastor taught what he called the 216 principle, and it just made so much sense to me. 216 is what you get when you multiply 12 months times 18 years. Because realistically, Moms and dads, 18 years is where we're going to have the very best impact. Those first 12 are the sweet spot. Those next six, before they leave to go do their own thing, that's, that's where we kind of have the very best chance to influence, to impact, to prep our kids. 216 months. 18 years times 12 months. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? 216 months. That's a lot of prepping. And yet every time, every month, especially when I used to have a paper calendar, when I would turn the calendar page, this 216 principle would resonate with me. And I would ask myself, did I make the most of the opportunities that God gave me? Did I invest in my children's lives? Did I do my best to discern what God's design for them is, what his purpose, his plan? Did I prep them according to that? Did I instill in them those overarching principles of loving God and loving others and sharing the gospel? Did I instill in them whatever I can to, to point them in the direction I believe God is sending them? Have I taught them to trust Him? I've only got 216 turns of that calendar. And every time I turn it, I realize there's a diminishing influence that I have. Every month that passes, I need to be making the very best of these opportunities. As a parent, I need to prepare my kids, train them in the way they should go, train them to really trust and love God, to understand that His plan is better than theirs, that choosing Him supersedes choosing their own selfish desires, self-serving plans, intentions. To trust that Jesus really is who he says he is. He's not some character out of a book. He was a real man, real flesh and blood. And at the same time, really God. 
and that God loves every one of us enough that he sent this Jesus character, wrapped in flesh, to live on earth, a sinless life, to set an example, to train a whole people. And that he loved us so much that he paid the penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God. God doesn't desire that for any of us. He desires for us to be in community with him in this life and in eternity. Our sin separates us from that eternal connection with him. And so he sent Jesus, his son, to pay that penalty, to bear that burden so that we don't have to, so that he can have that continuous eternal relationship with us. I've got to train my child in this way. I've got to share this with them, not just through my words, but my actions, through my relationships with others, my interactions, the order of my household, the priorities I have with my spouse, with other people, with the church. I've got to teach them. I've got to train them up. Share with my, my heart with them so that their heart can receive these truths. I've got to share with them that God loves them so much that he designed them unique, one of a kind, individuals. There's nobody else in the world like them today, never has been and never will be. And that God has a purpose for their life and he planted them at this point in history, in this place geographically, so they could live out that purpose and fulfill part of his plan. Man, you talk about something that will defend them against the influence of culture that tells them if they have the right haircut, the right clothes, the right body shape, the right color of skin, the right amount of money, the right car, the right house, the right neighborhood, the right family, that that will make them cool or uncool, valuable or invaluable or, or not valuable. It's that relationship with God through Jesus that fills you with the Holy Spirit. We teach them this because it honors God, because it fulfills our purpose as parents, and because it helps our children fulfill their purpose as individuals in His plan. I would challenge you in light of the 2.16 principle, in light of Proverbs 22.6, in light of all of the things that we've talked about for the past four weeks. Don't let a day, don't let a moment go to waste. You have a marvelous privilege and opportunity as parents to shape, to mold, to influence, to train, to prepare this next generation and many generations after to be lovers of God, servants of His, to be saved by grace through faith, to not have to deal with the hell that waits because of our sin, but to be able to live eternally with Him and to share in His glory. Don't miss an opportunity to be the parent God's called you to be.